Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the World in Sport. I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, Tahiti fall at the final hurdle at the Beach Soccer World Cup. The Pacific presence is downgraded for the next Rugby League World Cup and Fiji and Samoa make a winning start to the Pacific Nations Cup. But first, the Pacific Games Council says Papua New Guinea has delivered on its promise of hosting an outstanding event. The 2015 Games came to a close in Port Moresby at the weekend, with the host nation finishing atop the medal tally with 88 gold, 69 silver and 60 bronze ahead of New Caledonia and Tahiti. The Executive Director of the Games Council, Andrew Minogue, says a lot of things only fell into place at the last minute, but ultimately the government, organising committee and the country came to the party. Papua New Guinea promised back in 2009 in the bid stage that they'd deliver an outstanding Games, and they did, and we're very proud of them, what they've achieved here. Um, there's tremendous legacies for, for sport, the host country, uh, Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister last night at a, a special reception for the successful Team PNG promised he and his government would fund the sports program at least for the next four years so that they could try and retain their number one position at the next Games in Tonga. And you can imagine the athletes love the sound of that, as do we, because it's it's very important to the Games Council that you know, it's not just about hosting the event, it's about the athletes and developing their athletes into the future and, and those sort of commitments. What about our learnings from the Games? Uh, obviously, um, the venues seem to have been received very well. There were obviously challenges in getting some of them ready on time, but it seems to be agreed that the legacy of that will be lasting. Although, I mean, I guess you also had the issues with, um, you know, the football team, which is sort of to do with the Pacific Games and sort of not. There was... The uh, weightlifting incident with New Zealand, which you know obviously is not your fault, but it happens you know within the games, and then the experiment of having New Zealand Australia participating invited for the first time. So there was you know a lot of challenges and things uh, and new experiences at the games. A very multi-dimensional games for us. I mean, if you look at our traditional Pacific Games outcomes, we usually have the New Caledonian and Tahiti teams are usually one and two, usually very strong. They dominate the swimming program early on and then and then kick on through the rest of the games and the other Pacific countries are sort of scrambling for third or fourth place overall. Um, this time around you had New Caledonia obviously you know, trying very hard to keep their spot at number one and, and they were very, very competitive right up until probably the last couple of days when PNG really finished off strongly in the athletics and boxing and a couple of the team sports. But you had that dimension and at the same time, so we had Australia and New Zealand here, um, in Australia's case, picking up quite a few gold medals. I think you saw 17 
Uh, so they were adding the equation in terms of the overall medal tally. It made for a very, very interesting competition overall. From the Games Council's perspective, having Australia and New Zealand here did add value to the Games and to the competitions. And we're going to look at that uh, program in our review over the next six months um, and put some recommendations to the General Assembly next year as to how we move forward on that. So there's a big piece of work for us to do uh, in assessing it. But I think our, our first impressions are that it worked quite well. You mentioned the football issue. I think all parties agree certainly from the Pacific Games Council's perspective, uh, it would have been a lot easier and simpler had we had New Zealand in the actual games themselves. And I think to have done that would have meant having that proposal from the OFC on the table a little bit earlier. I think we all understand that that's something that we should look at for the next games. Just try and have that as part of the games itself so we don't have to have sort of two sets of semi-finals and a sort of a two-step tournament and we could have those agreements with, with FIFA on the eligibility. We could have all of that sort of organised and, and put through our processes. And it, it was very difficult to do that just six months before the Games because we have a process that we have to go through, which we didn't have time for. So we've learned a lot from that. I think the social media comment you referred to, we've got approximately 3,000 athletes at these Games and really um, we, we can't expect one or two of them to, to stray from the script, whether it's on social media or their behaviour in the village or on at venues, you're always going to have isolated incidents. And that's how we, we treat this um, this particular one. It's, it's not something that's uh, in any way representative of the New Zealand team. And, um, and so that, I think, disappeared very quickly as an issue for us in terms of managing the game and New Zealand's role in it. They were, were very welcome here, and I think they performed very well in, in their role as newcomers to the Pacific Games. I think, finally, the learning for us, the major one, you talk about the venues. All organising committees need to have access to the venues a little bit earlier uh, than what Papua New Guinea organising committee was able to to obtain. I think some of the venues, they sort of walked in for the first time only a couple of weeks before the game started and ideally um, two to three months before the game is when the organising committee needs to get in there and test you know, the technology, the lighting, entry and exit, the power, uh, all, all the facilities that are in, in venues that you need to run perfectly at games time and had the organising committee had a little bit more time, some of the little glitches that we had would perhaps have been easier to address. That's the Executive Director of the Pacific Games Council, Andrew Minogue. Tahiti have fallen at the final hurdle, beaten 5-3 by hosts Portugal in the final of the Beach Soccer World Cup. Despite coming up short, Tahiti broke new ground by becoming the first Oceania team to contest a World Cup final improving on their fourth-place finish two years ago on home soil. Oceania Football's Beach Soccer and Futsal Development Officer, Paul Tui, says it's an incredible achievement. Just to make a final, obviously, historic for Oceania, for Tahiti. And, uh, well, they, they had a difficult game. They, they went down early, didn't they? And so, But I think the important thing is they came back. They came back and they got very close. I think at 4-3, it could have been 4-4. They missed a good opportunity there. But in the end... Portugal weren't to be denied, and that Portugal side, there's a lot of history there. Some of those guys have been in that side for 10 years, led into the game, really, like Majur and Alain. So overall, you'd have to say it's been an incredible achievement by Tahiti, and to lose the final, there's no shame in that. What does this say about how good the Tiki Toa team is? 
it's amazing really when you think they've probably only had two or three games between the last World Cup and this World Cup. And if you think the way that beach soccer is developing around the world, I don't know how many games the likes of Portugal would have had, but it could be as many as 20 or 30 a year. It tells you a lot about the players, just how good they are. The 12 players, maybe 10 or 11, have played international football. So there's a lot of experience there, I'd say. There. And the collective spirit of the team, I think, is the key. But again, what came through in the tournament is that they were the most attractive team to watch. Their skills, their attacking style was really the hallmark of the side. And I think it's something that many people in beach soccer have commented on. Yes, they are a great team, great collective. But in the end, they play the game in a way that really thrills the crowd and they go for it. I guess when you play like that, you, there's always the danger that you'll concede. But they always seem to back themselves to be able to score when they need to. And obviously coming up against an experienced Portugal team in the final, uh, having got past Russia, the two-time defending champs uh, in the pool phase. You know, this shows that uh, it wasn't just uh, one sort of magical sort of uh, tournament on home soil. They were able to repeat it four years later on uh, you know, unfamiliar ground, pushing a home team to the wire. I think that was the big question going into the, the tournament, was could Tahiti emulate or better the 2013 tournament going to another country? Uh, because obviously at home they had the, the passion of the support and the delight of hosting the World Cup there, but they were able to do it. And, and uh, yeah, they beat the Russians, they beat Iran, Italy, Paraguay, all serious teams that, that play a lot, so... Definitely, it shows that uh, they, they've improved. The question is, is what, what next? And really, I think if they can work now between the next World Cup, I think they can be champions. Yeah, they've got a, a very experienced core, you know, the likes of Roy Mana, Lee Fung Kui, and you know, as we've mentioned, the number of players playing professionally yep. in Switzerland or in, in Europe. Are, you know, how likely are they to be able to keep this squad or the core of this squad together again for another tournament? And you know, what's the... Uh, What's the next tier like? Are there are there players coming through, uh, you know, that have seen these performances and, you know, developing, or is it, you know, very much an elite set that maybe they're relying on? The age factor was you've got guys like Nia Bennett, Tavis Averoni, 38, 39. I think they can keep going with this group. Guys like Lee Fung Kui are a little bit younger, in their early 30s, so for sure they can keep going. There is a, a league that runs in in Tahiti, so there are younger players coming through. But I think uh, really the key would be to keep as much of, of, of these guys together. And I think perhaps the motivation is still there. If we look around the beach soccer scene in Europe, some of the players are quite old. Like, uh, again, the players I mentioned from Portugal, 38, 40 years old. There's a guy at the tournament, mid-40s. It's one of those games where players can keep going for a bit longer. And uh, so I think it will come down to the motivation of those senior players. Do they want to go for another one two years in two years in Bahamas? And my feeling is they will want to, but for sure they will need to start looking at the next generation now, and that's really a very important focus for Tahiti and indeed for OSC, is how we foster that next generation of players. That's the Beach Soccer and Futsal Development Officer for Oceania Football, Paul Tui. Samoa and Fiji got their Pacific Nations Cup rugby campaigns off to a winning start at the weekend. The Manu survived a stirring second-half fight back by the United States to win 21-16 in San Jose, and coach Stephen Beetham was a relieved man at the final whistle. Certainly a game of two halves, um, but it was a good tester for us. Uh, we started well, but um, you know, 
it's just one of those things we have to gauge where all the players are and we've got a lot of work to work on the, some of the new boys and you know it's, it's a learning curve they played well as individuals um, and I think that's the key word um, if we want to close these games out we've got to act as a team and close them out early Meanwhile, their opponents this weekend, Fiji, came from behind to beat Tonga, 30 points to 22 in Suva. Playmaker Josh Matavesi told Koroi Hawkins the team is making progress. Learning from the mistakes that we made against the Maori, you know, not, not closing off the game. You know, we had a big lead a couple weeks ago against the Maoris and um, you know, we failed to close the game out. You know, last week was you know, a lot different. You know, we, just, we came from behind to win, so it just showed you know, the determination that the boys have got. Any injury concerns going away from that match? No, there isn't. No, I think everyone's fit and healthy. Um, it was a tough match, but um, everyone's come unscathed, I think. What challenges does playing Samoa pose? They're not like Tonga. Um, a bit, probably a bit more accuracy. You know, they're going to be just as physical. You know, we're expecting a real physical game, and they played very well against uh, the All Blacks, and they had a, a good victory against USA. So, you know, we're expecting a very physical encounter, and um, we're looking forward to it. With the World Cup being the main focus for 2015, what importance do you put on the Pacific Nations Cup and winning matches in the next few weeks? It's huge. Um, you know, it builds confidence. You know, going into a, a big campaign like the World Cup, you know, need to be as, as confident as possible, and you know, getting the combinations right. So that gives us enough time to you know do that. But also, we don't. You know, normally we don't spend that, that much time together as a, as a team. So you know, having you know, t- maybe two months or three months together just makes us that much better. You finished the home internationals for the year. Is travelling and touring for the Pacific Nations Cup ideal practice for the Rugby World Cup? I think the weather in the USA is pretty nice at the minute. It's like 35, so you know, we're going from a hot climate to another hot climate. No pressure on us, really, but it's just you know the flying time's a little bit different. But um, you know, we're OK with that. It's not a problem for us. You know, Most of, most of the team are professional now, so you know, we're used to, used to all we're used to travelling. What are the targets going into the Rugby World Cup? Come out of the pool. That's probably the target. And then we'll be pretty disappointed if we don't come out of that pool. We're confident and um, you know, hopefully with our preparation, you know, we, we can uh, take down a few of the big guns in our pool. That's the Flying Fijians International Josh Matavese speaking with Karoy Hawkins. Rugby League's governing body says a reduction in Pacific teams at the next World Cup is unavoidable, with competition for places at an all-time high around the globe. Five Pacific countries competed at the 2013 edition, but only four will make the trip to New Zealand and Australia in two years' time. Fiji and Samoa will be there because both made the knockout stages two years ago, but only two other qualifying places have been awarded to the region. The president of Cook Islands Rugby League, Charles Carlson, says that unfortunately leaves them facing a make-or-break clash later this year. That's really the end goal for us at the end of this year. And of course the players we, we picked uh, from there will mainly be um, NRL uh, players or those that's playing in the Super League. So that World Cup qualifier against Tonga, I understand, um, is, is that a one-off game? Is that a case of who wins goes through? Because last time at the World Cup in 2013, all five teams from the Pacific were there. Sadly, the, the format uh, that's been given to us is a do-or-die match, and uh, whoever um, wins this game uh, goes forward to the World Cup, and the loser just have to wait for another four years. So uh, it will be a pity to lose the, one of the Pacific teams because the uh, rugby league is very strong in, in the region, and uh, hopefully uh, we can still argue our case that uh, all our teams should be in the World Cup, uh, especially those that uh, fronted in the World Cup in 2013. So. Uh, unfortunately, we'll have to come to this one between us and Tonga. Unusual, isn't it? Because it's you know, arguably the strongest uh, region for rugby league in the world. It'll be a shame to, to miss the, either the Cook Islands or 
Watonga in the World Cup. Uh, but uh, then again, uh, as I said, um, we'll, we'll get over that hurdle and then we'll, we'll worry about uh, the, the next uh, stage of uh, trying to address those issues. So when was that decision made? Uh, the, uh, well, the game is in, in October and uh, we'll find out what the outcome is. And uh, we have the International Federation meeting in November and uh, we, we hope to lobby all the brothers and try and address this issue. Taz Bateri from the Rugby League International Federation says the makeup of the next World Cup will have winners and losers, and unfortunately it isn't possible to keep everyone happy. It's not an easy uh, mathematical solution to find, and you know, added to the dilemma that we have with the Pacific and Tonga and the Cook Islands needing to play off, we have a similar dilemma in Europe where we've got six countries qualifying for three berths. In the Americas, we've got three countries qualifying for one berth, and we've got the um, Africa section where we've got two countries also qualifying for one bird. So while difficult decisions that are made at board level, it's a stark reality of how the game's progressing. We, the, the number of countries playing the game is in, improving, and we need to cater for all, for all of them in a manner that's fair and equitable. And sometimes uh, some sacrifices along the way need to be made so that uh, the game continues to grow elsewhere rather than our traditional markets and to improve our footprint in, in the, on the planet we need to find new income streams so that development you know spreading the game or the wings of the game can continue and i think this is just a normal process in, in evolution of the sport it's a critical aspect that we need to get right there'll be some some sacrifices along the way where some countries will miss out that's Taz Bateri from the Rugby League International Federation. Meanwhile, the Toa Samoa residents prevailed 20 points to four over Mate Ma'a Tonga residents in an international clash in Hawaii at the weekend. The bulk of the Samoan team was backing up, having just won a silver medal at the Pacific Games. And that's the World in Sport for this week. I'm Vinnie Wiley. As always, thank you very much for listening. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.